All right, well, good morning. We are continuing in our theme of Church on the Move. We're going through the book of Joshua. For those that are joining us, we're actually almost halfway through the book here. And so we're almost halfway done. But today, I get the privilege of preaching through 10 chapters. 10 chapters, guys, 10 chapters. We are going to go through Joshua 11 to 21. So this is the best part of the book, right? Ten chapters. We're going to breeze through these ten chapters because the reality is this is the most boring part of the entire book. (laughs) This is the place where Joshua goes and divides the land to the 12 tribes. This is the place where it's all about details. It's like reading through ancestry. It's reading through through some really tough names and territories and places where half of them don't even exist anymore, names that you can't pronounce. Um, Just, it is a very, very boring 10 chapters, but God still has something to say through it, amen? Amen. So we're going to go through the 10 chapters for those that have been with us and on our journey with us through this theme, Church on the Move. We've been going through the book of Joshua. Just a quick recap. Joshua is a man after God's heart. He is a man where he is taking a nation on the move. He's picking up what Moses did by leading the Israelites out of Israel, and now he's taking Israel into the promised land of Canaan. This is the promise and the covenant that God made with Abraham, that this is going to be your land. This is going to be the land that I'm going to grant to you. And so Joshua has the privilege to move this nation and faithfully walk out a promise between God and his people. It is a story of faithfulness, of fulfillment, and today we're going to look at the inheritance that that the Israelites get. It is done. It is Final, we have conquered the land of Canaan, and now we get to split our land. So today, as we look through the 10 chapters, it's going to feel a little bit like a history lesson. But this portion of it really gives us what it means to walk into what God has for us. So before we go into that, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, may we look towards your scripture and see even in these details that, Lord, that you have a plan. So, Father God, I just pray that you send your spirit. Lord, may you use your spirit to speak to us personally, challenge us personally, speak to us directly and intimately. Father God, I just ask that in this that we see your heart more. So, Lord, we thank you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, just look between Joshua 11 and 21. We're going to jump through all of that. Uh, it's going to be all good. But for those that have uh, been following us, you know we've been using a series of maps, and today I get to use this one, which is the map of Israel split up uh, between all the 12 tribes. And so if we see, actually if you, if you Google map or, or Google Joshua and the 12 tribes, how it's split, generally you, this is kind of the, the general, what the most common kind of map layout. So 
Some of the lands, it's, it's approximate, and so sometimes the territory lines might look a little different, but this is the one that you find the most common, and we see that on here there are 13 tribes split up. Why, do you, why is there 13 lands split up? It's because we have to actually understand that it's split up in a different, it's, because we look, we're like, well, there's 12 tribes, why is there 13 land? Well, if you look here, so you see here there's the east and west Manasseh, same tribe, just split on the east and west of Jordan. So that eliminates one. The other thing is we have to remember is that Manasseh and Ephraim are descendants of Joseph. And so Joseph was portioned into two. So that's why there's, there's extra, you know. But if you still count, you're like, well, you went from 13 now to 11. Where's the 12th tribe? Well, the 12th tribe is the Levite tribe, and they actually didn't get a portion of land. Their inheritance was different. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that inheritance and what the Levite inheritance is. And so this is um, just something for us to see. Uh, this is the Mediterranean Sea as we see it, the Dead Sea. This kind of gives you kind of the modern-day Israel, which is the black outline that is outlined here. And then you see the 12 tribes kind of in compared to what modern-day political lines are. Um, if you remember, when God promised them the promised land, it was the west of Jordan, right? And so we see modern-day Israel that's still on the west side of Jordan. But remember, as they were crossing the Jordan, the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben said, you know what, we have this land. This land works for us. And so this, is, this happened even before they crossed the Jordan. Remember that? And so, so what Joshua said, okay, that's okay. Send your, the army with us to go and conquer Canaan first. And then after the conquering, you could go back to the east of Jordan. And so that's why you see the tribes here are on the east side of the Jordan River. Okay, so there's west and east. And if, you, if we continue going through the Old Testament, eventually Jerusalem, um, the Israel actually gets split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, I mean, Israel has gone through a lot of political things, and so the lines are always being with redrawn, and it's always changing, and it's always moving. Um, east of the Jordan River, we have the country Jordan. We have Syria. Uh, north, we have Lebanon. Um, and so this is just for you guys to have a visual of kind of, where, what we're talking about, where, we're, where uh, the promised land is, uh, where all of these things are. These are things that is important for you guys to know. It's important for us to know as we, as we study the word. It's important for us to understand that what has happened in the Bible, sometimes when we read the Bible, it becomes this almost fictional thing that we, we think that these lands are fictional. But the reality is that the land and the cities that are, are talked about in the Bible, a lot of them still exist today. A lot of them still are, are, are active, like Jerusalem, like Hebron, like Nazareth. These are all cities that are still cities today that are thriving. And so I don't want us to think about, oh, sometimes we get into a place where we're reading the Bible. It becomes this Lord of the Ring fantasy thing where it's, it's kind of like, oh, that happened way back then and, the, and things were different. Um, but that, that is part of a, the history that 
that we live in. It's part of the history of the world that these things happen, these things are, are, are active, and these things are continuing, and that the people that we study are people just like you and I, that the people that we, we look at are no different from, from you and I, and that, that we all walk that same faith, that we all walk that same journey, that we all are participating in the grand scheme of what God has laid out for the world, okay? So that's this, all of this is to just really help us see and understand a little bit more. I want to keep it on this map here just for us for, for today as we preach through. Um, today I'm going to look at three different, I'm going to pull out three different characters uh, within the, the chapters that um, I've laid out before us today. The first is the character of Joshua, the second is the character of Caleb, and the third is the tribe of, of Levi. And so out of all of these chapters, we're going to look at three very distinct things in terms of what, uh, how God really wants to just speak to us today. Because sometimes when we read these chapters or any genealogy chapters, we like to breeze through them and sometimes we miss a little detail. We miss the little stories that are in the details of, of list. You know, you know what I mean? Like sometimes when we read genealogy, it's just like, okay, let's just get through that chapter. Honestly, when I had to prepare for this, I was like, how do I get through this chapter? Because it is a, just a lot of names, a lot of names and rivers and territories and things that you just don't care about, right? I'm just being honest. I know all of you guys read the Bible that way unless you're more spiritual than I am. <laughs> and if that's the case, you should be up here, not me. So let's look at Joshua. Joshua is a man that is leading a nation. A nation consisting of two million people. That's like moving the city of Vancouver. You're trying to move the, the population of the city of Vancouver into a land, crossing borders, coming into a place where there are battles to be fought, land to be taken, land to be conquered. And throughout all of this, the strategies and how they move and everything that they do rest on his shoulders. Is that a great responsibility? Could you imagine carrying that responsibility? Being responsible for two million people and how to conquer a land and take a land that God has promised the entire nation and how we do that all rests on your shoulders. How great of a task is that? It's enormous. It's a gigantic task of enormous proportions. It is something that if we take a look at it, it's like, are we able to do that? If you look at your life right now and you look at who you are, are you able to do that? Are you able to do that because God has called you to do that? If God today spoke to you and says, I want you to lead this city into reconciliation of who I am. Are you able to do that? Most of us probably would say no. I, I can't do that. But Joshua said yes to this charge. He said yes to this, to this, this task and to this project. And he has come to a place where he's done it. He's conquered. They've conquered the south. They've conquered the north. And they're in a place where he is now set to split 
the land to the different tribes of Israel. For those that have siblings, for those that have siblings know that sibling rivalry is strong, right? I remember as a kid going to the dinner table, I would stake my claim. You know, you get to the dinner table, traditional Chinese, we don't get our own plates, everything's laid out in the middle, and then you take from the middle. You know what I mean? And so I need to make sure I take my claim. I need to make sure that all the meats are mine and all the vegetables are Carmen's. <laughs> Anything that's green is garnish. Anything that's brown goes in here. <laughs> that's how I approach the dinner table. This, it's almost that thing where you have to, you know, you get ready. Mom say, pray, pray really quick so that I could grab. You know, it's just like, pray chopsticks out like, Guard your territory. That's sibling rivalry. Canaan is theirs now. Israel has conquered. Now you have 12 tribes seeking for land. What do you do? How do you split it? How do you, how do you come to a place of splitting the land over 12 tribes of 2 million people and make sure that everybody feels good about the portion that they get? You know what my mom eventually did? She would actually set aside food for Carmen because I was starving Carmen <laughs> from food. So she would actually just set a plate with her food on the side because she knew that I would just eat it all. So parents know, right? I mean, left our own goods, Carmen would probably be smaller than she already is. <laughs> Surprisingly, I'm not bigger. But Josh, Josh went at this task. It's a great task. It's a great task where he needs divine wisdom and divine strategy in terms of how to split it. The thing that we need to know with Joshua is that Joshua, from the very young age, already had a concept in his head, and he already knew who he was and who God was for him in order to even take this task on in order for him to take this task on to lead the Israelites into Canaan, in order to be able to split the tribes into their allotted spaces, Joshua already needed to know who he was with God. If he didn't know who he was with God, this task becomes something that is unattainable. To have the wisdom and the courage to go and do something like this requires something that is much greater than what Joshua has to offer. How does Joshua, how does the book start? It starts with God saying to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Right? So that is how Joshua thinks. This is Joshua in his essence of knowing who God is. I presume that Joshua wakes up every single morning making sure that he sets his heart right. One of the things for myself as, I, as I've been ministering in ministry for such a long time is that I need my time with God. Every single morning, I need my quiet time with God. If I don't have that quiet time with God, I feel out of sorts. And not because of the fact that I feel out of sorts because I'm not doing a discipline. I feel out of sorts because I feel like I don't have what it takes to tackle the day. 
You see, every single day we are, there, there's so many things that are thrown, thrown at us, whether it's from our family, whether it's from our work, whether it's from the world. These things cause fear, cause anxiety, cause frustration, cause disappointments, and causes distractions in our lives. And what's, what happens is that we actually try to take and manage all of these things on our own, and by the end of the day, we are exhausted, we are tired, and we are torn down. And that's how I feel if I don't go to God every day. Why do we need to go to God every day? Why did Joshua need to go to God every day? It's because he needed to be encouraged first thing in the morning in order for him to tackle the day and the task that comes along with it. He needs to be encouraged, be strong and what? Courageous. To be courageous, you need to be encouraged. How do you get encouraged? It's through his word, through his spirit, and through his way. Joshua's task in front of him was more than what Joshua could bear. But with God, he knew that he could do this. That's how we are called to walk and to lead every single day. That we are called in a place where we come to him for God to encourage us so that we could tackle the day. So that whatever comes at us from our spouses, from our children, from our colleagues, from our friends, from strangers from circumstances and situations that we have the courage of God to go and tackle these things. Do do you believe that God has a very specific plan for you? Do you believe that God has a very specific way he wants you to live? Do you believe that God created you to do great things and to do things that are within his will? If you believe that, then you need to know that God will walk all of these things out with you. And in order for you to get the plan for the day, for that hour, for that minute, you need to know how to connect with him. You need to know how to draw from him, how to, how, how to, how to, how to come to God in all of these things, in all circumstances. Even in the things that seem simple. Joshua understood that. That's why Joshua was given the great task. The great task of leading an entire nation, and now he's splitting the land. Do you think that there were no quarrels between the, the tribes? Oh, there were. There were lots. Discussing, oh, why do they get this? Why do they, I get that? What cities do I get? I want this portion. These, these lands are better. I want the mountainside. I want the seaside. I don't want the prairies. Prairies kind of suck. I'm from the prairies. I could say that. But it's, it's that aspect of quarreling, but yet Joshua had God's wisdom in how to do it. Like even if we look at, at Simeon, Simeon was actually not given a portion. But out of Judah's portion, he got a portion. Because Judah had lots. So Judah looked at his portion, I have lots. Let me give a portion to Simeon. Actually, if you go through the entire Old Testament, you actually eventually see that Simeon's tribe actually has migrated to the north and they became part of the northern tribe. And there's all this other stuff, but I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole history lesson of itself. But when Joshua had to divide the land, he needed to have God's wisdom. He needed to know exactly how God wanted things to be done and he needed to to know his relationship with God in order to do this. And this is the charge for us as Christians, as believers, is that we need to know who God is so that we can conquer the land that God has given us to conquer. Amen? 
But Joshua didn't just end there. He didn't just say, okay, I know who God is. I could do this. I could lead this charge. Joshua lived that way, and at the same time, he said, follow me. That is one of our charges as Christians is that we don't just, sometimes we look at our faith and we look at our walk and we look at our discipleship as just between God and I and God and my family, maybe it extends that far. But the reality is God didn't set it that way. God said, Joshua, you lead it and tell everybody else to follow me. As you have my heart, tell everybody else to follow me, follow you in the same way. So there's a charge for us as Christians to get everybody around us and in our circles to follow in the ways that we do things. That you're responsible to lead others to the promised land. That you're responsible to lead others into the kingdom culture. That you're responsible to lead others into a place of following who Jesus is. And it doesn't mean that you need to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that you need to be a ministry leader or a cell group leader. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't even mean that you need to have your life in order in order for you to call people to follow you. That even that in your struggles, I know all of us struggle with something, that in your struggles that you can call someone that is struggling in the same way to follow you because you are seeking after God's heart and therefore you're going to get healed and if you call others to follow that same way that they're going to be healed at the same time. That you don't need to have arrived in order to lead, that you can lead from the place that you are currently. That is God's charge for you. That is God's call for you. That is God's mandate for all Christians that Joshua is leading the way that God calls all of us to lead. Every single one of us are called to lead the way that Joshua leads. To be strong and courageous for the things that I have laid out before you to walk those things out. Isn't that incredible? That sometimes these things that seem so big that God walks out with us. That we could draw from him that his strength comes, his courage comes. You have a responsibility to take that and lead others into that. This is part of what preaching the gospel is about. This is part of what living a Christian life is about. This is how we are called to live because we're not called to live as individual Christians. We're called to live as a church. We belong to something that's called the church and the church is all of us. It's his kingdom. It's his people. Follow me as I walk this way. That's Joshua's. That's Joshua's call. At the end of all of this, Joshua gets his inheritance. And he, the reality is Joshua already has an inheritance because he's part of a tribe. So as he splits, he's splitting a portion to himself as well. But what happens is the people give Joshua his inheritance for being their leader. And Joshua gets a city for his own. He claims his inheritance as his blessings from God. That God has something for him, for he was good and he was faithful in it. By the time Joshua got his inheritance, he was an old man. He wasn't young anymore. That leading from from the day that he was sent out as a spy to the day that he claimed his inheritance was 45 years. He was an old man. He wasn't young. 
He was doing all of these things as an, as an old man. That leads us into the, the person of Caleb. If you look at chapter 14, it talks about Caleb's inheritance and his request for his inheritance. You see, Caleb was an outsider. He was an outsider that was adopted into the tribe of Judah. If you look at the name Caleb, the name Caleb literally means dog. And in that culture, dogs were scavengers. They were just kind of around the people. They weren't pets, as we would call Fifi today. They weren't our little baby sons where we dress them up and have pillows for them and, and shopping carts to put, push them in. That's not how dogs were seen back then. Dogs were seen as scavengers. They were with the people, but they were not. They were, they were really just scavengers around the land. They were what was outcasted. And for Caleb to get that name, Caleb, which means dog, means this is how his family actually saw him. If we look at the name Caleb today, I mean, name ancestry likes to pretty up and say, oh, it means faithfulness and it means bravery. Yes, it does mean those things now because of this Caleb. But his name initially meant dog, outsider, not worth thinking about. He got adopted into a tribe of Judah. And out of that place, he was chosen to represent the tribe of Judah as a spy. This is when Moses called out 12 spies, one from each tribe, to go into the land to see what was in the land. And Caleb was one of these spies along with Joshua. The other 10 were unnamed. Why were they unnamed? Because those 10 did not have faith. That when, when the 12 tribes were sent into Canaan, when they came back, only two out of, the, out of the 12 said, we can conquer this land. The other 10 said, yes, this land is great. It produces fruit. It is amazing. This land is incredible. But there are giants in the land, and therefore we cannot conquer it. But when Caleb and Joshua saw these giants, he said they had faith that God is going to move beyond and has called them into a place of conquering these giants. And they staked their claim and this is Caleb staking his claim of his inheritance that was promised to him through Moses. There was a city by the name of Hebron. And this is what Caleb is asking for. He's like, I want Hebron as my inheritance. Hebron is one of the choicest cities in all of Canaan. It is one of the best cities. Highest altitude, 3,000 feet above sea level. Produce the, the land is saturated and it was beautiful and it's advantageous in terms of military standpoint. This is one of the prime real estate. Hebron is also the city of the Israel patriarchs. It is the place where Abraham received his covenant promise of God that Canaan would belong to his descendants. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all buried there. And to this day, Hebron is still a, one of the best piece of real estate in Israel. You guys know the saying, where does an 800-pound gorilla sit? Anywhere he wants. Because he's an 800-pound gorilla. That was the people in Hebron. They were giants. In the London Muse Museum, there is a femur of, that was excavated in that site. And in that femur, at the size of it was, it projected that this person stood over nine feet tall. It is believed that Goliath is from this ancestry. 
that Goliath comes from the ancestors of Hebron and that even if you go to the archaeological area of that, time, of, of that space right now today, as they're excavating that space, everything was oversized. Everything is oversized and bigger than what needs to be because these people were giants. And as giants are, they could take whatever they are just because of their sheer size. They, want, they could do whatever they want, take whatever want they want, and they were able to conquer, and they ho- held on to this land. And when Israel co- conquered it, Caleb says, I want that. That is my inheritance that was promised to me when I was a spy at the age of 40. And I am coming to you now, Joshua, at the age of 85 years old to claim my inheritance. What was promised to me, I walked out exactly what God wanted me to walk out. That means that through every single battle that we were reading through Joshua, Caleb fought as an old man. That even in his old age, Caleb understood that there was a call in his life, that there was something that he needed to do, that God has called him into a place of walking out his faith in order to claim his inheritance from him. And the city of Hebron was given to Caleb. What Caleb understood was what Paul wrote. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the promise, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Even as Paul wrote that and understood that, Caleb understood that already back back in the day. That God wants us to live by acknowledging what, what has happened in the past. However good or however bad that past or the present is, but to step into future hope, to step into God's call for our lives, to step into the will that God has for us. Caleb saw things the way God wants us to see things. He saw the giants of the land, and instead of allowing what he understood and allowing his own senses to dictate how he acted, he trusted the promise that God had for him. Sometimes what is ahead of us seems impossible or the things that God has promised to us seems unachievable or unreachable. And this can lead us to think that I can't step into it. I can't do it. Sometimes we listen to the things that God has, has prophesied over our lives or even the things that God has spoken into us, into our lives as we do our quiet time with him. And sometimes we look at it and we're just like, This is unachievable. This is not who I am. This is not how I'm built. This is not uh, how you created me, God. That's not me. And out of our own understanding, we won't walk out what God has promised for us. But if you don't, if you look at the giants and say, okay, God, I'm terrified. This is not what I want to do. But I trust that you're leading me through this. Watch what God can do. As a young man, when I started coming into ministry, I didn't want to do this. Being a pastor is the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to preach. I hate public speaking. I hate 
speaking in front of people. In some ways, I actually hate people. <laughs> I'm a pretty big introvert, and so I love you guys, but in general, I'm saying, okay? So being a pastor is the last thing I wanted to do. When I came into Five Stones, the first, I, I already I was finishing off my seminary. Even if you look at my seminary degrees, I don't have any MDiv. I purposely did a master's in theological studies, more on the intellectual side, and then I did urban ministries, which is in a, it's like, oh, I don't want to work with church. I'll work with parachurch organizations. Like, nobody wants to work for the church. <laughs> look at me now. Because, but when I first came into the church, <laughs> there was a there was a prophetic meeting that was hap- that happened in 2006, and said you're going to be working with the youth of this church, and I'm like, oh, you're wrong, because I hate youth. <laughs> I don't want to work with youth. I led the youth group here in Five Stones for five years. I led them on three mission trips internationally. Like, think about a 20-something-year-old leading 12 youth to Honduras one of the drug capitals of the world. I had to convince all their parents to be like, ah, let them come with me. It's going to be great. Led them to Honduras to do a missions trip. Led them to Bellacula to do a missions trip. We did all these great things as a youth group. Some of these are now young adults in our church that are serving in, in our church. Great relationship with them. All of this taught me that there is more in me than I think there is. It taught me that I don't actually completely understand myself, that sometimes we box ourselves into this is who I am. I don't like these things. I don't like being pushed outside of my comfort zone. But God's like, yeah, that's who you are right now, yes. But that's not who you can be. The 10 years that I've spent here has prepared me for what my next step is, which is you guys sending me out to plant a new church. When I look at that aspect and that prospect, to be completely honest with you, I'm terrified. It seems like there are giants in the land. It seems like there are things that I cannot achieve, things that I don't know how to do. I don't have the strategy. I don't have the the know-how. I don't have anything that puts me in a place where I could actually do this. But there's one thing that I've learned throughout all my ministry is that if I trust in God, God will show me that there is more to me than I think there is. That today that I stand as a pastor in front of you preaching these words to you was a journey of my faith and stepping into a hope that God had for me. That I'm still not finished and God still has more for me to step into, but this is the portion of what God has called me to step into. And Caleb understood this. Caleb understood that I am stepping into future hope that my past does not define me. 45 years, Caleb walked this out. 45 years before Caleb entered into his inheritance. Nothing was going to keep Caleb from doing God's work. The third thing we're going to look at is is the Levites. Now, if you look at this map, it's like there's no land that's given to the Levites. Nowhere in this is Levi's inheritance. The tribe of Levi has no land to call for for themselves. You see, the inheritance that the Levites received was different and greater than the other tribes. 
But the, the tribe of Levi, is it, their inheritance, as spoken in chapter 13, verse 33, is that the Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. That God is their inheritance. It wasn't about land, but it was about something that was greater. It was something that was more transformative. It was something that was more personal and more intimate. It was a call to priesthood. The tribe of Israel, their inheritance played out that their inheritance was throughout all of Israel. They were given 48 cities and the pasture lands around it. And that their call was to uphold the teachings of God and to make sure that the people of Israel was reminded of who they are and what they're supposed to do. They were to teach and uphold the laws, but remind the people of Israel, this is who you are. That's the inheritance of the Levites. The Levites were called to be sojourners of the land that they will never really have a place to call their own, that they are going to be sojourners, meaning that they're going to be travelers throughout the land, upholding the call of the Lord. That's the inheritance of the Levites. This is a reminder for us that we are all ministers of the gospel. This is something that we can never be reminded of too, of too often. That we're here for such a short period of time. That the life that we live here is so short in light of what eternity is. That this is the one life to live and that we see ourselves as Levites living in cities that we don't belong to. The Levites foreshadow what Jesus came to establish as a new covenant, a new promise, and a new inheritance. It's his kingdom. It's all of it. It's the kingdom of God which is all of the world. It's everything. The Levites understood that their ministry was not tied to any land. That their inheritance was not tied to any land, but tied to God. What the Levites inherited was something greater because what they inherited was to carry the heart of the Father. That is your inheritance today. That when Jesus came, all of these tribes, all of these ways of doing things have been given to everybody. When Jesus came to establish the new kingdom, that his heart and his ways of doing things is, ex is extended to the entire church. That this is now the church's way of doing things. That this is your way of doing things. That you are all called to be priests. You are all part of the holy nation. You are all part of his royal priesthood. This is all of you. Every single one of you that declare that Jesus is Lord. You are his priest and his minister to the world. And you represent the heart, and the, the heart of the Father. That's your responsibility. Your responsibility, and this is how the gospel is, getting, is going to be preached. That the inheritance of the Levi is, is what God wants us to understand as dispersed throughout the land. Every single one of you are placed in the position that you're placed intentionally. Don't think that you are where you are accidentally. It is an intentional move that you are where you are today. That you are where you are today because God has a purpose for your life. 
and that God wants to use you to minister to the people around you. That is part of your inheritance. This is the church, to bring teaching to the word, to help people remember and know who God is. So today as we looked at Joshua and Caleb and the Levites, will you be like Joshua and lead others to claim what God has provided for them? Will you be like Caleb and not let anything keep you from doing God's work and claiming his promises? Or will you be like the Levites and allow God to scatter you into the community and point people to know and worship the one true and living God? Will you do what God has called you to do? Will you walk out the destiny that he has given you and the inheritance that he, stepped, he has called you to step into? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. Lord, that you are a good God and that you are a God that has a plan for all of us. Lord, that we can come to you and step into an inheritance that you have laid before us even before we were born. Father God, I just pray that as, as we look at the way and the will of our lives and the the will of the church, Lord, that you give us strength and encouragement to walk this out faithfully. Father God, I just pray that as we look towards you, Lord, may you give us your peace and just your power against all fear, against all anxiety, against all discouragement, against all distractions, and focus 100% on who you are and the love that you have to give on this world. Lord, may we be able to walk out the call that you have in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.